Chapter Sixteen of *The Last of the Plainsmen* by Zane Grey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Mike Vendetti. MikeVendetti.com. *The Last of the Plainsmen* by Zane Grey. Chapter Sixteen. Kitty. It seemed my eyelids had scarcely touched when Jones' exasperating yet stimulating yell aroused me. Day was breaking. The moon and stars shone with wan luster. A white snowy frost silvered the forest. Old Mose had curled close beside me, and now he gazed at me reproachfully and shivered. Lawson came hustling in with the horses. Jim busied himself around the campfire. My fingers nearly froze while I saddled my horse. At five o'clock we were trotting up the slope of buckskin, bound for the section of ruined rim wall where we had encountered the convention of cougars. Hoping to save time, we took a short cut and were soon crossing deep ravines. The sunrise coloring the purple curtain of cloud over the canyon was too much for me, and I lagged on a high ridge to watch it, thus falling behind my more practical companions. A far-off wahoo brought me to a realization of the day's stern duty, and I hurried Satan forward on the trail. came suddenly upon our leader, leading his horse through the scrub pinion on the edge of the canyon, and I knew at once something had happened, for he was closely scrutinizing the ground. "'I declare this beats me all hollow,' began Jones. "'We might be hunting rabbits instead of the wildest animals on the continent. We jumped a bunch of lions in this clump of pinion. There must have been at least four. I thought we'd run upon an old lioness with cubs, but all the trails were made by full-grown lions. Mose took one north along the rim, same as the other day, but the lion got away quick. Frank saw one lion. Wallace is following Sounder down into the first hollow. Jim has gone over the rim wall after dawn. There you are. Four lions playing tag in broad daylight on top of this wall. I'm inclined to believe Clark didn't exaggerate. But confound the luck, the hounds have split again. They're doing the best, of course, and it's up to us to stay up with them. I'm afraid we'll lose some of them. Hello, I hear a signal. That's from Wallace. Wahoo! Wahoo! There he is, coming out of the hollow. The tall Californian reached us presently with Sounder beside him. He reported that the hound had chased a lion into an impassable break, and then joined Frank on a jutting crag of the canyon wall. Wahoo! yelled Jones. There was no answer except the echo, and it rolled up out of the chasm with strange, hollow mockery. Don took a cougar down this slide, said Frank. I saw the brute, and Don was making him hump. Ah, there, listen to that. From the green and yellow depths came the faint yelp of a hound. That's Don, that's Don, cried Jones. He's hot on something. Where's Sounder? Here, Sounder. By George, there he goes down the side. Hear him? He's opened up. Hi, hi, hi. The deep, full bay of the hound came ringing on the clear air. Wallace? You go down. Frank and I will climb out on that pointed crag. Gray, you stay here. Then we'll have the slide between us. Listen and watch. From my promontory I watched Wallace go down with his gigantic strides, sending the rocks rolling and cracking. And then I saw Jones and Frank crawl out to the end of a crumbling ruin of yellow wall which threatened to go splintering and thundering down into the abyss. I thought as I listened to the penetrating voice of the hound that nowhere on earth could there be a grander scene of for wild action, wild life. 
My position afforded a commanding view over a hundred miles of the noblest and most sublime work of nature. The rim wall where I stood sheared down a thousand feet to meet a long wood slope which cut abruptly off into another giant precipice. A second long slope descended and jumped off into what seemed the grave of the world. Most striking in that vast void were the long irregular points of rim wall protruding into the Grand Canyon. From points sublime to pink cliffs of Utah, there were twelve of these colossal capes, miles apart, some sharp, some round, some blunt, all ragged and bold. The great chasm in the middle was full of purple smoke. It seemed a mighty sepulcher, from which misty fumes rolled upward. The turrets, mesas, domes, parapets, escarpments of yellow and red rock gave the appearance of an architectural work of giant hands. The wonderful river of silt, the blood-red, mystic, and sullen real Colorado, lay hidden except in one place far away, where it glimmered wanly. Thousands of colors were blended before my rapt gaze. Yellow predominated, as the walls and cranks lorded it over the lower cliffs and tables. Red glared in the sunlight. Green softened these two, and then purple and violet, gray, blue, and the darker hues shaded away into dim and distinct obscurity. Excited yells from my companions on the other crag recalled me to the living aspect of the scene. Jones was leaning far down in a niche, at seeming great hazard of life, yelling with all the power of his strong lungs. Frank stood still further out on a cracked point that made me tremble, and his yell reinforced Jones's. From far below rolled up a chorus of thrilling bays and yelps, and Jim's call, faint but distant, on the wonderfully thin air with its unmistakable note of warning. Then on the slide I saw a lion, headed for the rim wall, and climbing fast. I added my exultant cry to the medley, and stretched my arms wide to that innumerable void that glorified for a moment, full to the brim of the tingling joy of existence. I did not consider how painful it must have been to the toiling lion. It was only the spell of wild environment, of perilous yellow crags, of thin, dry air, of voices of man and dog, of the stinging expectation of sharp action, of life. I watched the lion growing bigger and bigger. I saw Don and Sounder run from the pinion into the open slide, and heard their impetuous burst of wild yelps as they saw their game. Then Jones's clarion yell made me bound for my horse. I reached him, was about to mount when Mose came trotting toward me. Caught the old gladiator. When he heard the chorus from below, he plunged like a mad bull. With both arms round him I held on. I vowed never to let him get down that slide. He howled and tore, but I held on. My big black horse with ears laid back stood like a rock. I heard the pattering of little sliding rocks below stealthy padded footsteps and hard panting breath almost like coughs then the lion passed out of the slide not twenty feet away he saw us and sprang into the pinion scrub with the leap of a scared deer samson himself could no longer have held mose away he darted with his sharp angry bark i flung myself upon satan and rode out to see jones ahead and frank flashing through the green on the white horse at the end of the pinion thicket Satan overhauled Jones's bay, and we entered the open forest together. We saw Frank glinting across the dark pines. Aye, aye, 
yelled the colonel. No need was there to whip or spur these magnificent horses. They were fresh. The course was open and smooth as a racetrack, and the impelling chorus of the hounds was at full blast. I gave Satan a loose rein, and he stayed neck and neck with the bay. There was not a log, nor a stone, nor a gully. The hollows grew wider and shallower as we raced along and presently disappeared altogether. The lion was running straight from the canyon, and the certainty that he must sooner or later take to a tree brought from me a yell of irresistible wild joy. Hi, 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 answered Jones. The whipping wind, with its pine-scented fragrance, warm as the breath of summer, was intoxicating as wine. The huge pines, too kingly for close communication with their kind, made wide arches under which the horses stretched out long and low, with supple, springly, powerful strides. Frank Shell rang clear as a bell. We saw him curve to the right and took his yell as a signal for us to cut across. Then we began to close in on him, and to hear more distinctly the baying of the hounds. Hi, 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 bawled Jones, and his great trumpet voice rolled down the forest glades. Hi, 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 I screeched in a wild recognition of the spirit of the moment. Fast as they were flying, the bay and the black resounded to our cries and quickened, strained and lengthened under us till the trees sped by in blurs. There, plainly in sight ahead, ran the hounds, Don leading Sounder next, and Mose not fifty yards behind a desperately running lion. There are all satisfying moments of life. That chase through the open forest under the stately pines with the wild, tawny quarry in plain sight and the glad staccato yelps of the hounds filling my ears and swelling my heart, with the splendid action of my horse carrying me on the wings of the wind, was glorious answer and fullness to the call and hunger of a hunter's blood. But as such moments must be, they were brief. The lion leaped gracefully into the air, splintering the bark from a pine fifteen feet up, and crouched on a limb. The hounds tore madly round a tree. "'Full-grown female,' said Jones calmly, as we dismounted, and she's ours. We'll call her Kitty.' Kitty was a beautiful creature, long, slender, glossy, with white belly and black-tipped ears and tail. She did not resemble the heavy, grim-faced brute that always hung in the air of my dreams, a low, brooding, menacing murmur that was not a snarl nor a growl came from her. She watched the dogs with brights and never so much as looked at us. The dogs were worth attention, even from us, who certainly did not need to regard them from her personally hostile point of view. Don stood straight up with his forepaws beating the air. He walked on his hind legs like the trained dog in the circus. He yelped continuously as if it agonized him to see the lion safe out of his reach. Sounder had lost his identity. Joy had unhinged his mind and had made him a dog of double personality. He had always been unsociable with me, never responding to my attempts to caress him, but now he leaped into my arms and licked my face. He had always hated Jones till that moment when he raised his paws to his master's breast, and perhaps more remarkable, Time and time again he sprang up at Satan's nose, whether to bite him or kiss him. I could not tell. Then old Mose, he of Grand Canyon fame, made the delirious antics of his canine fellows look cheap. 
There was a small dead pine that had fallen against a drooping branch of the tree Kitty had taken refuge in, and up this narrow ladder Mose began to climb. He was fifteen feet up, and Kitty had begun to shift uneasily when Jones saw him. "'Hey, you wild coon-chaser! Get out of that! Come down! Come down!' But Jones might have been in the bottom of the canyon for all Mose heard or cared. Jones removed his coat, carefully coiled his lasso, and began to go hand and knee up the leaning pine. "'Here, done! Blast you! Get down!' yelled Jones, and he kicked Mose off. The persistent hound returned and followed Jones to a height of twenty feet, where he again was thrust off. "'Hold him, one of you!' called Jones. "'Not in me,' said Frank. "'I'm looking out for myself.' "'Same here,' I cried, with a camera in one hand and a rifle in the other. "'Let Mose climb if he likes.' Climb he did, to be kicked off again, but he went back. It was a way he had. Jones at last recognized either his own waste of time or Moses' greatness, for he desisted allowing the hound to keep close after him. The cougar, becoming uneasy, stood up, reached for another limb, climbed out upon it, and peering down spat hissingly at Jones. But he kept steadily on with Moe's close on his heels. I snapped my camera on them when Kitty was not more than fifteen feet above them. As Jones reached the snag which upheld the leaning tree, she ran out on her branch and leaped into an adjoining pine. It was a good long jump and the weight of the animal bent the limb alarmingly. Jones backed down, and laboriously began to climb the other tree. As there were no branches low down, he had to hug the trunk with arms and legs as the boy climbs. His lasso hampered his progress. When the slow ascent was accomplished up to the first branch, Kitty lipped back into her first perch. Strange to say, Jones did not grumble. None of his characteristic impatience manifested itself here. I supposed with him all the exasperating weights and vexatious obstacles were little things preliminary to the real work to which he had now come. He was calm and deliberate, and slid down the pine, walked back to the leaning tree, and while resting a moment shook his lasso at Kitty. This action fitted him somehow. It was so compatible with his grim assurance. To me, and to Frank also, for that matter, it was all new and startling and we were as excited as the dogs. We kept continuously moving about, Frank mounted and I afoot, to get good views of the cougar. When she crouched as if to leap, it was almost impossible to remain under the tree, and we kept moving. Once more Jones crept up on hands and knees, Mose walked the slanting pine like a rope performer. Kitty began to grow restless. This time she showed both anger and impatience but did not yet appear frightened. She growled low and deep, opened her mouth and hissed, and swung her tufted tail faster and faster. "'Look out! Look out! Look out, Jones!' yelled Frank warningly. Jones, who had reached the trunk of the tree, halted and slipped round it, placing between him and Kitty. She had advanced on her limb, a few feet above Jones, and threateningly hung over. Jones backed down a little till she crossed to another branch. Then he resumed his former position. "'What blow?' called he. Hardly any doubt was there as to how we watched. Frank and I were all eyes except very high and throbbing hearts. When Jones thrashed the lasso at Kitty, we both yelled. She ran out on the branch and jumped. This time she fell short of her point, clutched a dead snag which broke, 
letting her through a bushy branch from where she hung head downward. For a second she swung free, then reaching toward the tree, caught it, with front paws, ran down like a squirrel, and leaped off when thirty feet from the ground. The action was as rapid as it was astonishing. Like a yellow rubber ball, she bounded up and fled with the yelping hounds at her heels. The chase was short. At the end of a hundred yards, Mose caught up with her and nipped her. She whirled with savage suddenness and lunged at Mose, but he cunningly eluded the vicious paws. Then she sought safety in another pine. Frank, who was as quick as the hounds, almost rode them down in his eagerness. While Jones descended from his perch, I led the two horses down the forest. This time the cougar was well out on a low spreading branch. Jones conceived the idea of raising the loop of his lasso on a long pole, but as no pole of sufficient length could be found, he tried from the back of his horse. The bay walked forward well enough. When, however, he got under the beast and heard her growl, he reared and almost threw Jones. Frank's horse could not be persuaded to go near the tree. Satan evinced no fear of the cougar, and, without flinching, carried Jones directly beneath the limb, and stood with ears back and forelegs stiff. "'Look at that! Look at that!' cried Jones, as the wary cougar pawed the loop aside. Three successive times did Jones have the lasso just ready to drop over her neck, when she flashed a yellow paw and knocked the noose awry. Then she leapt far out over the waiting dog, struck the ground with a light, sharp thud, and began to run with the speed of a deer. Frank's cowboy toying now stood us in good stead. He was off like a shot, and turned the cougar from the direction of the canyon. Jones lost not a moment in pursuit, and I, left with Jones' badly frightened bay, got going in time to see the race, but not to assist. For several hundred yards Kitty made this hounds appear slow. Don, being swiftest, gained on her steadily toward the close of the dash, and presently was running under her upraised tail. On the next jump he nipped her. She turned and sent him reeling. Sounder came flying up to bite her flank, and at the same moment fierce old Mose closed in on her. The next instant a struggling mass whirled on the ground. Jones and Frank, yelling like demons, almost rode over it. The cougar broke from her assailants, and, dashing away, leaped on the first tree. It was a half-dead pine with short snags low down and a big branch extending out over a ravine. "'I think we can hold her now,' said Jones. The tree proved to be a most difficult one to climb. Jones made several ineffectual attempts before he reached the first limb, which broke, giving him a hard fall. This calmed me enough to make me take notice of Jones's condition. He was wet with sweat and covered with a black pitch from the pines. His shirt was slit down the arm, and there was blood on his temple and his hand. The next attempt began by placing a good-sized log against a tree, and proved to be the necessary help. Jones got hold of the second limb and pulled himself up. As he kept on, Kitty crouched low as if to spring upon him. Again Frank and I sent warning calls to him, but he paid no attention to us or to the cougar, and continued to climb. This worried Kitty as much as it did us. She began to move on the snags, stepping from one to another, every moment snarling at Jones, and then she crawled up. The big branch evidently took her eye. She tried several times to climb up to it, but small snags close together made her distrustful. She walked uneasily out upon two limbs, and as they bent with her weight, she hurried back. 
Twice she did this, each time looking up, showing her desire to leap to the big branch. Her distress became plainly evident. A child could have seen that she feared she would fall. At length, in desperation, she spat at Jones, then ran out and leaped. She all but missed the branch, but succeeded in holding to it and swinging to safety. Then she turned to her tormentor and gave utterance to most savage sounds. As she did not intimidate her pursuer, she retreated out on the branch, which sloped down at a deep angle and crouched on a network of small limbs. When Jones had worked up a little further, he commanded a splendid position for his operations. Kitty was somewhat below him in a desirable place, yet the branch she was on joined the tree considerably above his head. Jones cast his lasso. It caught on a snag. Throw after throw he made with like result. He recoiled and recast nineteen times to my count when Frank made a suggestion. Rope those dead snags and break them off. This practical idea Jones soon carried out, which left him a clear path. The next fling of the lariat caused the cougar angrily to shake her head. Again, Jones sent the noose flying. She pulled it off her back and bit it savagely. Though very much excited, I tried hard to keep sharp, keen faculties alert, so as not to miss a single detail of the thrilling scene. But I must have failed, for all of a sudden I saw how Jones was standing in the tree, something I had not before appreciated. He had one handhold which he could not use while recoiling the lasso, and his feet rested upon a precariously frail-appearing dead snag. He made eleven casts of the lasso, all of which bothered Kitty, but did not catch her. The twelfth caught her front paw. Jones jerked so quickly and hard that he almost lost his balance, and he pulled the noose off. Patiently, he recoiled the lasso. "'That's what I want. If I can get her front paw, she's ours.' My idea is to pull her off the limb, let her hang there, and then lasso her hang legs. Another cast, the unlikely thirteenth, settled the loop perfectly round her neck. She chewed on the rope with her front teeth and appeared to have difficulty in holding it. Easy, easy. Who's that rope? Easy, yelled the cowboy. Cautiously, Jones took up the slack and slowly tightened the noose, then with a quick jerk fastened it close around her neck. We heralded this achievement with yells of triumph that made the forest ring. The triumph was short-lived. Jones had hardly moved when the cougar shot straight out into the air. The lasso caught on a branch, hauling her up short, and there she hung in mid-air, writhing, struggling, and giving utterance to sounds terribly human. For several seconds she swang, slowly descending, in which frenzied time I, with ruling passion uppermost, endeavored to snap a picture of her. The unintelligible commands Jones was yelling to Frank and me ceased suddenly with a sharp crack of breaking wood, then crash. Jones fell out of the tree. The lasso streaked up, ran over the limb, while the cougar dropped pell-mell into the bunch of waiting, howling dogs. The next few moments it was impossible for me to distinguish what actually transpired. A great flutter of leaves whirled round a swiftly changing ball of brown and black and yellow, from which came a fiendish clamor. Then I saw Jones plunge down the ravine and bounce here and there in mad efforts to catch the whipping lasso. He was roaring in a way that made all his former yells merely whispers. Starting to run, I tripped on a root, fell prone on my face into the ravine, and rolled over and over until I brought up with a bump against a rock. What a tableau riveted my gaze! It staggered me so I did not think of my camera. 
I stood transfixed, not fifteen feet from the cougar. She sat on her haunches, with body well drawn back by the taut lasso to which Jones held tightly. Don was standing up with her, upheld by the hooked claws in its head. The cougar had her paws outstretched, her mouth open wide, showing long, cruel white fangs. She was trying to pull the head of the dog to her. Don held back with all his power, and so did Jones. Mose and Sounder were tussling round her body. Suddenly both ears of the dog pulled out, slit into ribbons. Don had never uttered a sound, and once free, he made at her again with open jaws. One blow sent him reeling and stunned, then began again that wrestling whirl. "'Beat off the dogs! Beat off the dogs!' roared Jones. "'She'll kill them! She'll kill them!' Frank and I seized clubs and ran in upon the confused, furry mass, forgetful of peril to ourselves. In the wild contagion of such a savage moment, the minds of men revert wholly to primitive instincts. We swung our clubs and yelled. We fought all over the bottom of the ravine, crashing through the brushes, over logs and stones. I actually felt the soft fur of the cougar at one fleeting instant. The dogs had the strength born of insane fighting spirit. At last, we pulled them to where Don lay half-stunned, and with an arm tight round each, I held them while Frank turned to help Jones. The disheveled Jones, bloody, grim as death, his heavy jaw locked, stood holding to the lasso. The cougar, her side shaking with short, quick pants, crouched low on the ground with eyes of purple fire. "'For God's sake, get a half-hitch on that sapling!' cried the cowboy. His quick grasp of the situation averted a tragedy. Jones was nearly exhausted, even as he was beyond thinking for himself or giving up. The cougar sprang a yellow, frightful flash. Even as she was in the air, Jones took a quick step to one side and dodged as he threw his lasso round to the sapling. She missed him. But one alarmingly outstretched paw gazed his shoulder. A twist of Jones' big hand fastened a lasso, and Kitty was a prisoner. While she fought, rolled, twisted, bounded, whirled, wreathed, and with hissing, snarling fury, Jones sat mopping the sweat and blood from his face. Kitty's efforts were futile. She began to weaken from the choking. Jones took another rope, and, tightening a noose round her back paws, which he lassoed, as she rolled over, he stretched her out. She began to contract her supple body, gave a savage, convulsive spring, which pulled Jones flat on the ground, then the terrible wrestling started again. The lasso slipped over her back paws. She leaped the whole length of the other lasso. Jones caught it and fastened it more securely. But this precaution proved unnecessary, for she suddenly sank down either exhausted or choked, and gasped with her tongue hanging out. Frank slipped the second noose over her back paws, and Jones did likewise with the third lasso over her right front paws. These lassos Jones tied to different saplings. "'Now, you're a good kitty,' said Jones, kneeling by her. He took a pair of clippers from his hip pocket, and, grasping a paw in his powerful fist, he calmly clipped the points of the dangerous claws. This done, he called to me to get the collar and chain that were tied to his saddle. I procured them and hurried back. Then the old buffalo hunter loosened a lasso which was round her neck, and as soon as she could move her head, he teased her to bite a club. She broke two good sticks with her sharp teeth, but the third, being solid, did not break. While she was chewing it, Jorns forced her head back and placed his heavy knee on the club. In a twinkling, he had strapped the collar round her neck. The chain made fast to the sapling. 
After removing the club from her mouth, he placed his knee on her neck, and while her head was in this helpless position, he dexterously slipped a loop of thick copper wire over her nose, pushed it back, and twisted it tight. Following this, all done with speed and precision, he took from his pocket a piece of steel rod, perhaps one quarter of an inch thick and five inches long. He pushed this between Kitty's jaws, just back of her great white fangs, and in front of the copper wire. She had been shorn of her sharp weapons. She was muzzled, bound, helpless, and object to pity. Lastly, Jones removed the three lassos. Kitty slowly gathered her lissom body in a ball and lay panting with the same brave wildfire in her eyes. Jones stroked her black-tipped ears and ran his hand down her glossy fur. All the time he had kept up a low monotone talking to her in the strange language he used toward animals. Then he rose to his feet. "'We'll go back to camp now and get a pack-saddle and horse,' he said. "'She'll be safe here. We'll rope her again, tie her up, throw her over pack-saddle, and take her to camp.' To my utter bewilderment, the hounds suddenly commenced fighting among themselves. Of all the vicious, bloody dog-fights I ever saw, that was the worst. I began to belabor them with a club, and Frank sprang to my assistance. Beating had no apparent effect. We broke a dozen sticks, and then Frank grappled with Mose and I with Sounder. Don kept on fighting, either one, till Jones secured him. Then we all took a rest, panting and weary. "'What's it mean?' I ejaculated, appealing to Jones. "'Jealous, that's all. Jealous over the lion.' We all remained seated, men and hounds, a sweaty, dirty, bloody, ragged group. I discovered I was sorry for Kitty. I forgot all the carcasses of deer and horses, the brutality of this species of cat, and even forgot the grim, snarling yellow devil that had leaped at me. Kitty was beautiful and helpless. How brave she was, too! No sign of fear shone in her wonderful eyes, only hate, defiance, watchfulness. On the ride back to camp, Jones expressed himself thus, "'How happy I am that I can keep this lion and the others we are going to capture for my own.' When I was in the Yellowstone Park, I did not get to keep one of the many I captured. The military officials took them from me. When we reached camp, Lawson was absent, but fortunately old Baldy browsed near at hand and was easily caught. Frank said he would rather take old Baldy for the cougar than any other horse we had. Leaving me in camp, he and Jones rode off to fetch Kitty. About five o'clock they came trotting up through the forest with Jim who had fallen in with them on the way. Old Baldy had remained true to his fame, nothing. Not even a cougar bothered him. Kitty, evidently no worse for her experience, was chained to a pine tree about fifty feet from the campfire. Wallace came riding wearily in, and when he saw the captive he greeted us with an exultant yell. He got there just in time to see the first special features of Kitty's captivity. The hounds surrounded her and could not be called off. We had to beat them. Whereupon the six jealous canines fell to fighting among themselves and fought so savagely as to be deaf to our cries and insensible to blows. They had to be torn apart and chained. About six o'clock Lawson loped in with the horses. Of course he did not know we had a cougar, and no one seemed interested enough to inform him. Perhaps only Frank and I thought of it but I saw Mary snap in Frank's eyes and kept silence. Kidney had hidden behind the pine tree. Lawson astride Jim's pack-horse, a crotchety animal, 
reined in just abreast of the tree and leisurely threw his leg over the saddle kitty leaped out to the extent of her chain and fairly exploded in a frightful cat-spit lawson had stated some time before that he was afraid of cougars which was a weakness he need not have divulged in view of what happened the horse plunged throwing him ten feet and snorting in terror stampeded with the rest of the bunch and disappeared among the pines why the hell didn't you tell a feller reproachfully growled the arizonan frank and jim held each other upright and the rest of us gave way to as hearty if not as violent mirth we had a gay supper during which kitty sat by her pine and watched our every movement i will rest up for a day or two said jones things have commenced to come our way if i may not mistaken we'll bring an old tom alive into camp but it would never do for us to get a big tom in the fix we had kitty to-day you see i wanted to lasso a front paw pull her off the limb tie my end of the lasso to a tree and while she hung i'd go down and rope her hind paws it all went wrong to-day and was as tough a job as i ever handled not until late next morning did lawson corral all the horses that next day we lounged in camp mending broken saddle bridles stirrups lassos boots trousers leggings shirts and even broken shins during this time i found kitty a most interesting study she reminded me of an enormous yellow kitten she did not appear wild or untamed until approached then she slowly sank down laid back her ears opened her mouth and hissed and spat at the same time throwing both paws out viciously kitty may have rested but did not sleep at times she fought her chain tuggling and straining at it and trying to bite it through everything in reach she clawed particularly the bark of the tree once she tried to hang herself by leaping over a low limb when any one walked by her she crouched low evidently imagining herself unseen if one of us walked toward her or looked at her she did not crouch at other times noticeably when no one was near she would roll on her back and extend all four paws in the air her actions were beautiful soft noiseless quick and subtle the day passed as all days pass in camp swiftly and pleasantly and twilight stole down upon us round the ruddy fire the wind roared in the pines and lulled to repose the loathsome friendly coyote barked the bells on the hobble horses jingled sweetly the great watch-stars blinked out of the blue. The red glow of the burning logs lighted up Jones's calm, cold face. Tranquil, unalterable, and peaceful it seemed. Yet beneath the peace I thought I saw a suggestion of wild restraint, of mystery, of unslaked life. Strangely enough, his next word confirmed my last thought. For forty years I've had an ambition to get possession of an island in the pacific somewhere between vancouver and alaska and go to siberia and capture a lot of russian sables i'd put them on the island and cross them with our silver foxes i'm going to try it next year if i can find the time the ruling passion and character determined our lives jones was sixty-three years old yet the thing that had ruled and absorbed his mind was still as strong as a longing for freedom in kitty's wild heart hours after i had crawled into my sleeping bag in the silence of night i heard her working to get free 
in darkness she was most active restless intense i heard the clink of her chain the crack of her teeth the scrape of her claws how tireless she was i recalled the wistful light in her eyes that saw no doubt far beyond the campfire to the yellow crags to the great downland slopes to freedom i slipped my elbow out of the bag and raised myself dark shadows were hovering under the pines i saw kitty's eyes gleam like sparks and i seemed to see in it the hate the fear the terror she had of the clanking that bound her i shivered perhaps from the cold night wind which moaned through the pines i saw the stars glittering pale and far off and under their wan light the still set face of jones and blanketed forms of my other companions the last thing i remembered before dropping into dreamless slumber was hearing a bell tinkle in the forest which i recognized as one i had placed on satan End of chapter sixteen